Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. So let me, let me preface by saying this. The next two weeks, we're going to deal with something that the Bible gives us uh, as a topic that needs to be dealt with. A matter of fact, the Bible deals with this topic very, very often. I don't, but the Bible does. It's a topic that I'm not normally uh, comfortable dealing with, but I am comfortable in dealing with the Word of God. We've got some first-time guests in the room. Good morning. I'm not going to single you out, although I just looked at you and everybody knows it now, but I'm not going to make you stand up and uh, say anything. But we've got several first-time guests, a guest that I haven't met. And uh, so for our guests to know, this is not a topic that I uh, preach on often at all. Uh, But I'm going to teach on it today uh, because of the necessity that God puts on it in his word. And we're going to deal with it this week and we're going to deal with it next week. The story is told of a um, very rich and wealthy industrialist that made his way down to a pier one evening by which he saw a boat harnessed to the pier and the fishermen sitting on the shore. So the industrialist walked up, the wealthy man looked at this, this fisherman sitting by the shore and he says, hey, how was the fishing today? Upon which the fisherman replied, it was great, I caught a bunch. His reply was, then why are you sitting here? Why don't you get back out in your boat and keep fishing? And the fisherman said, what, what, what do you mean? He said, man, if it were me and if it was my boat, I would be out finding those hot spots. I would catch as many fish as I could. I'd sell those fish. I'd go out and buy better nets and better gear and then catch more fish. Then I'd go out and buy a better boat. Then I would buy a fleet of boats and then I would take that fleet of boats and I would have them making money uh, for me the rest of my life. And I then would enjoy my life. And the man, the fisherman said, why would you do that? And the industrialist said, why not? I mean, I just want to enjoy my life. And the fisherman replied, I am doing now what's going to take you years to enjoy. And and the whole point of that illustration and that thought is this. Money does not buy happiness. Money is not the end all to joy. Our finances do not bring peace and satisfaction, but oftentimes can enter us into a rat race that is not enjoyable, that is not peaceful, that is not helpful. The Bible has much to say. I don't have to stand before you today and manipulate you to give. I don't have to give you my stories in order to help you understand what God says about money. But what I can do is open up the Word of God, and as Josh refers to it, the Sermon on the Amount. Okay, we're not, no, that's not the title of the sermon today. It's not, uh, it's not the Sermon on the Amount, uh, but it is going to be a sermon um, about giving. Dollars and cents, not cents with a C, but making sense out of the money that God gives us. 
And so before I can ever convince you that God wants you to give, I've got to first of all, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, convince you what God says about money. Does that make sense? I, I, I need to know what God says about money. Now, here's the crazy thing. Some of you think you've already got this perfectly handled. You are a tightwad, okay? And you, uh, and you elevate yourself in the fact that you are stingy and you are a tightwad. But you know what? Uh, Mr. Scrooge was not somebody that had a good reputation, and then there are some of you sitting here saying, you know what, I'll never get victory over this. I am a spender, spender, I'm a waster, waster. I blow money on this and that. And so there's no hope for me. Uh, there's nothing for me to learn. Um, my encouragement to us is whether you are a tightwad or whether you blow money or you're in between, it's wise of us never to check out from what the word of God says about any matter. And so let's dive into God's word today and let's see what God wants us to understand. See, the, the, the issue is this. Um, last night, I'm uh, actually this morning, here's what normally happens in my house with the thermometer or the, the thermostat. In my house, normally uh, it's 67 degrees while we sleep. And then at six o'clock, that thermostat jumps up and the temperature comes on so that by 6.05 and 6.10, it can be warm enough to get out of bed, okay? So me and my wife like to sleep with the cold. Right then, you tightwads, you Scrooges went, well, there goes all your money right there. Okay, I got it, I got it, all right? So, um, and so uh, we, the, the temperature will shoot up, the heat will come on, it will make it nice and cozy in the house to get up, but, but sometimes it gets out of whack. So I'm laying in bed this morning. I wake up about probably 4.45 today, and, and it's hot. And it dawns on me the heat's on. So I, so, so I got up and went and checked the thermostat, and I looked at the thermostat, and it sure enough was uh, at 4.45 in the morning, the thermostat was set on 77. Like, I don't know how it did that, but I smelt bacon cooking in the house, and there was nobody. I'm just kidding. And uh, it, was, it was hot. It was getting warm in the house, and so I jacked it back down and reset everything on that, that, that thermostat. So somewhere, the thermometer uh, determined the temperature. Um, money is oftentimes a thermometer to where our spiritual heart's at. The Bible says where your treasure is, there will your your heart be also. How, how can I tell how somebody uh, values God in their spiritual life? You can tell it in many ways, and one of those thermometers for that is our wallet, okay? How, how that, that is managed biblically, and so that's what we're going to kind of look at today, and I want all of us to take the opportunity, myself included, by the time this message is over, to say, okay, here's where my thermometer on money is biblically. This is where it's registering, okay? And so let's, let's dive into the Word of God. How many of you know what is the biblical word that God uses for handling money? Stewardship. The word is stewardship, how I steward something, how I handle it, how I manage it. And so this is what we're going to uh, look at today. So let's understand what the Bible says about money. What does the Bible say about money? Number one, understand what God has said. What, what does God um, highlight when it comes to money in his word? Number one, here's what he says. Refuse to love it. 
We know that one. That's popular. If I were to ask you to give me a verse about money, most of you immediately would have said, the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay, that's a very popular verse on money. Matter of fact, that passage is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And the book of 1 Timothy is an interesting book because it wasn't written necessarily to accountants. Uh, the, the book of Timothy was written from Paul to um, a young man that he's mentoring in life and ministry. So both of these things are combined. My life and my ministry is the letter that Paul is dealing with. So when Paul writes Timothy this note, he is going to try to get at the core of who Timothy is, right? His personal life, his problems, so that Timothy can minister the gospel better. This is literally what the book of Timothy is about. Timothy, you're struggling. There are some issues. Don't fall away from the faith. Don't quit on God. Don't let the world influence you. Hey, Timothy, be careful. This is what you should be so that, 1 Timothy 3, you can be a good bishop, have good deacons, have the ability to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, That is the case for all of us. and so when we start to understand money, we have to understand what the, what the Bible says about it. And here's a great passage. As Paul is teaching Timothy about finances, here's what he says. Verse number 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I want you to see four actions in the passage. Would you look at the passage with me? Love of money, okay, loving something, and coveted after they have erred, there's an error here, and pierced themselves. So watch, the Bible says when I love money, when it becomes the center focal point of what drives me, and then I begin to covet and desire it and want it and want what everybody's got instead of being thankful with what God has given, what happens to me, the Bible says, is then I have erred. I have taken an error or I've made a a wrong turn in my life. And the end of that is it will pierce me through. We understand the word pierce, right? It will pierce me through, the Bible says, with many what? Many sorrows. So, so the piercing are the sorrows that come because I coveted and loved what? Money. Uh, you know this is true. I think we've all said it. If I could just win a million dollars. Did you know that most of those who win the lottery end up piercing themselves through with many sorrows? Because what used to be something that was casual becomes now something they love, and that replacement for what God says to love devours them. We live in a society. Can I pause for a minute and speak to our teenagers and our kids here? We live in a society, kids, that is driving you to be wealthy and successful. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there anything wrong with being wealthy or successful? Yes or no? No. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy or successful. But when it becomes the driving love of your life, that's when it brings sorrow and it will destroy you. Please do not think that life is all about money. How many of you kids ever heard your parents say something like this? Money doesn't grow on 
trees, okay? Um, it's because you're asking and wanting and desiring and got to have. And, 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 and so that love is going to bring sorrow in your life. This is what the Bible says about money. Number two, here's what the Bible says. Don't serve it. Refuse to love it. Don't serve it. We are not to put our confidence in our money. Don't serve it. So, so the word of God says this in Matthew chapter six and verse number 24. Here's another famous passage concerning money. Here we go. No man can serve two masters. Now, what are the two masters that this particular passage is referring to in the Sermon on the Mount, not the amount? What is it referring to? For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in what? Mammon. The word mammon there is the word for money. Okay? So, so you can't serve two gods. In particular, in this passage, you, you can't serve God and money. Now, now, let me ask you a question because I want us to think as we walk through this. Um, if something becomes a God in my life outside of God himself, the Bible calls that a what? An idol. Uh, God has always been against idols. He's always been against anything that dictates my decision-making outside of him. Um, so what, what can be idols? Now, I know when we think of idols, we think of wooden fat figures that sit upon a mantle, okay? And I'm not necessarily making fun, but we just think of wooden carved items. But that's never necessarily, God did include that. Do not make a God out of earthen things like wood, etc. cetera. Uh, but uh, specifically with the children of Israel and us today, an idol was anything that had control of my direction and my thinking. Would we all agree that money has the ability to control and lead and guide my direction and my thinking? Yes, the Bible says you can't serve that and serve me at the same time. Church, we, we seriously right here need to pause and really take an account of ourselves because this is a serious matter that Christ elevated in the first message to a group of people upon this planet. And, and, and in this message, he said this, you cannot let money be the controlling factor of your life. You cannot serve God and mammon. You just can't. And, and oftentimes, we will be guilty of letting money control decisions instead of letting God control those decisions. And so the Bible says, don't serve God and mammon. However the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart about that, I want him to do that in your life. But you must recognize what's in charge. You must look and see what is in control. So you say, Pastor, how do I do that? Well, it, it, it's very simple. It's very simple. Are there things that you're doing within your financial world that is causing you to disobey the spiritual world? When I say spiritual world, I don't mean things floating through the sky. I'm talking about your relationship with God. Are there things in your financial world that are contradicting the spiritual world that God has called us to live in first? Because here's the matter. If I submit myself to God then I can leave the financial results up to him. But if I submit myself to my financial results, God's never in control. 
you cannot serve God and mammon. This is what the Bible says. So, so first of all, don't love it. And I probably should spend more time on that because do we not live in a country that loves money? Do we not live in a country that just loves wealth and ease and comfort? I got so tickled that I couldn't stop laughing. It was just one of those things that caught me so funny. I saw a meme that's, uh, or something, I can't remember if it was a meme or just a, a little statement, and it said something like this, um, the world of country music will soon change because of self-driving vehicles. The songs will go something like this, my truck left me for another man, <laughs> and it took my dog, right? Um, and, 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 and we love wealth, right? We love to be rich. We love to have self-driving vehicles. We love to have the latest technology. And, and that's just the world. And not all of us. I, I know not all of you fit in that category. But man, we just love comfort. We love ease. We love these things. And that is who we are. But we cannot let that be the, the, our greatest love. Secondly, don't serve it. Don't serve it. He warns Timothy of this. Thirdly, don't seek to be rich. The word of God clearly says that in order to honor God, then don't seek to be rich. Okay, will you help me with this passage? Are you ready? Uh, most of us know it. Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, what things will be added unto you. That the things that he's referring to are the blessings that God wants to give, and he knows when we need them, and he knows when we don't need them. So I shouldn't seek to be what? And, and probably if there's somewhere, and I would say for our kids today, if there's something that we need to really push right now with our young people, it's that one. Don't seek to be rich. Seek to be righteous. And if God can trust you in your righteousness with riches, he'll give you that. And if he doesn't, he knows he can't trust you with it. Doesn't that just make sense? So, so this is something in my home that we do a little different uh, maybe than, than you would do. Uh, just because the government says we hit a certain age in my house doesn't mean we get to do those things that the government says we get to do. So for, first of all, would be driving. 16 years old, according to our law, you can get a driver's license, unless you live in my house. And then in my house, it's if you are mature enough to be behind the wheel of a car because you have sought to do these things prior to that moment, then because you did these things, I probably can trust you to do these things. That's common sense. The, the government doesn't dictate when our children are adults. I know it says they turn adults at 18, and I know they can legally leave my house and go do their thing at 18, but it does not mean that they're an adult, and it does not mean they're ready to face the world and be a parent and be a husband or even drive a vehicle or work heavy machinery. Can you imagine some of the kids of the day working heavy machinery, right? Scary. All right, I, I, I believe this, and not because I'm elevating. There, there's a row of young people sitting three rows back right here, and I would trust them to any of my vehicles, any of my power equipment, anything that I have, and I don't have nearly the power equipment they have because they've been trained and raised to be mature, to handle things, to have growth, and I, and I think that's great. I, I would rather give some of these boys a tractor and a backhoe before I'd give some of you in this room a backhoe. All right, are, 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 are you tracking? Okay, so watch. 
Don't love it, refuse to serve it, and don't seek to have it because you might not be able to control it. Seek righteousness. Seek being right with God. Seek honoring him first. And if he deems that you're worthy of wealth, then he will give you that wealth. Um, There are some people you know when they're wealthy. I was with somebody recently and could not stop talking about their 13,000 square foot car garage and all the vehicles and the toys they've got in it and everything that they have that, that goes with it. And then the square footage, I'm like, 13,000 foot garage. Man, I could put, I'm trying to do the math, I could put six of my houses in their garage, right? But then you have people that you stand beside every day and you would have no clue that they're wealthy. They're humble. They're full of the power of God. They know how to share it, care for it, steward it, manage it. Isn't that interesting? That's why God says, seek you first his righteousness. Here's what he also says. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 9, he says this. Isn't it amazing how many money passages are in 1 Timothy? Is it, is it, is it messing me up? Isn't it amazing how many money passages are in in the book of Timothy? I wonder if Timothy had a money problem. I'm just curious. I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say, hey, Tim, how was your bank account when you were on earth, right? I mean, did you struggle with this thing? Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money, again, is the root of all evil. But by the way, let's, let's make sure we define something. The Bible says that mo- never said that money was evil. You do recognize that. And sometimes when I preach on common topics like this, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir and some of you may get a little bored with the information. But then there's some of us sitting here that don't understand. God never said money was evil. Never. God never said money was evil. God said the love of money is evil. And those who seek to have it as the supreme direction of their life are going to find themselves in much trouble with it. And the Word of God clearly warns against this. And and, and that's why we should seek God first and worship Him and Him alone. Number four, what does God say about money? Realize it's not yours. We're to never regard money as our own. The Bible says in Psalm 89 and verse 11, the heavens are thine, the earth is also thine, and as for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. It is all his. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the thousand hills. He owns the grass on the thousand hills. He owns the shepherds of the thousand hills. God owns it all. He is the owner. Then then why do I have it in my wallet? Matter of fact, I just went to reach my wallet and it's not there. Isn't that a weird feeling when it's supposed that hump's supposed to be right there and it's not? And uh, I know where it's at. Uh, but uh, even though I've got money in my wallet, I hope, yeah. And uh, even though I have money in my wallet, right? Um, I have to recognize it's not mine. What that is is this: I'm a steward. 
So, 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 so another way to look at this is uh, the five kids that God has given to me here, they're not mine. They're not. I know my wife birthed them. I know me and her are a part of the process, but they're not my kids. I'm not to dictate their direction uh, long-term with their life. I'm to steward them while I have them. I'm to manage the five children that God has given to me and to train them up and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so I can, when, when, when they're set loose as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man and they're let go, they hit the mark. Okay, the same thing is true about money and the things that God has allowed me to possess. It's not mine. I'm just to steward it. I'm to manage it. Um, Recently, especially when when the church started, let me kind of give you a little background. When the church started, uh, we started it from scratch. There was a team of us, and I turned the finances over to David Sibley. Every single year, this is so funny. Every single year, David would give me the financial report and I, as the pastor, was going to create the new budget, okay? And so I was using a, a Word document for you PC people, but we, we Mac people call it a pages document, uh, to build the, um, uh, the, the budget. So I had the left side were the items all lined up, and then, then there was a, an actual, there was the budgeted, and then the upcoming budget item. And I would plug all those items in, and then I would manually on a calculator add all those things up, and then I would, I, I would add them up again to make sure I got it right the second time. And then I realized, oh, I missed them. Then I add them up again. I would spend hours and hours, literally hours and hours. Why? Because I'm not a money guy. But I did feel the responsibility. And so I would do all that. And then, then year two, I'd do it again. Then year three, I did it. Year four, year five. We were five years into this ministry before I realized that I could put it into a spreadsheet and it would do it all for me. Click, boop, it did all the adding. Wow, I don't have to do it seven times to be sure I got it exactly penny for penny right. The computer will actually count it for me. That is so cool. Okay, well, this year, uh, because things are getting bigger and larger with so much money, Ray McCormick finally said, I have no responsibility dealing with this at all. This is, this is not even remotely in my wheelhouse. I, I have a hard time multiplying, standing in front of a congregation. Why am I uh, the one handling all this money? And all of a sudden, uh, I just said, okay, God, you, you've got you, you, you to help me give it away to somebody else and let them do this. That this is so not uh, uh, my thing, okay? And so as you, as you look at this, uh, thing, you have to realize that um, as, as the leader, God has given us different gifts and abilities, and some of us have them, and some of us just don't. And other people can do so much better with these things um, than we can. But whether you're good at money or you're not good at money, it's not your money. It's God's money. He's just given you the ability to sit down and manage it and steward it. Now, in my home, within my own budget, I'm okay with that. I can handle that. I got it all done through Dave Ramsey, everydollar.com, and and we plug in everything every month, and it organizes it and puts it in every place, and we can watch when it's lowering, and and I spend here, it disconnects, and so we can see where the budget is. We can stay within our means, and, but it's not mine. I'm just a steward it. And, and, and got to make sure it's being stewarded rightly and well and managed well. And the same thing is true about you and I. It's not your money. It's God's money. 
So if I don't understand that I'm a steward, when a pastor stands up and says, hey, are you giving? Then it's hard for me to swallow my responsibility to give back to God what's already his. Well, pastor, we don't believe in the 10% tithe. I'm okay with that. I, I, I know that's a debatable topic, that the Old Testament said to give 10%, but nowhere in the New Testament does it say give 10%. I get that. The truth be known, it's 33% in the Old Testament. It wasn't 10 It was 10 given to the government. It was 10 given to Aaron and his family. It was 13 when you add all the stuff together given to the community. 33% of their income went away or 33% of their giving went away as soon as they received it back in the Old Testament in Old Testament law. Today it's grace giving. It's because of God's grace and what he's given to me and how he's asked me to steward it, I give it back by grace. Me giving what I have for the glory of God. And the truth be known, all of us have that responsibility. All of us, from top down. From from top down, God's given us that responsibility. And so as we look into the Bible, the Bible says here, four things, refuse to love it. This is what he says about money. Number two, don't serve it. Number three, don't seek it. Number four, realize it's not yours. And if we can come to that conclusion, we'll begin to progress in our understanding of money and what God has said. So where do you sit on the thermometer of these truths? Where do you sit? Well, I think I'm doing pretty good, Pastor, because I've got this this nest egg that I'm sitting on so that if anything ever goes wrong... I'm, I'm really good to go. Okay, then where's faith in that? I believe in saving. We're going to talk about that in a moment in the next passage. But where do you, where do you sit on the thermometer of where money is controlling you versus what God is leading you to do? What God is leading in your life? Ask yourself that question by answering those questions. Do you love it? Do you serve it? Do you desire to be rich? Have you realized it's not yours? It's God's. Okay, so with that being said, let's go to the second section really quick. Here's where it gets practical, okay? Here's the second section of the Word of God. Then my responsibility, first of all, what God says about the Bible is to understand what he says, and secondly, is to steward what he has given. How do I rightly steward, according to the Bible, what God has given me? Now, this is not something new. This is something old. This has been happening since Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. God gave to Cain. God gave to Abel. Remember the story? All right, so uh, God gave them a certain way to manage their first fruits that they were given. Um, Cain did not honor God with his giving, and Abel did. So Cain got mad and he killed Abel. You know that story. Uh, the jealousy between the, the brothers, all right, about handling the money. So from the beginning of time, God has always told us to steward what I give to you, and I'm going to give you a pattern, the Bible says, about how to steward it. And so let's look at how the Lord says to steward money in the Bible. Number one, number one, off the top, off the top, off the top. It's first because it needs to be first. It ought to be first. I'm to purposefully give back to God. We, we, we see that from Cain and Abel until now. I'm to purposely give back to God. 
And that is vitally important. I don't know what you as individuals give. If you're on the leadership team of New Life Baptist Church, I do know if you give. Because I don't feel you can be a faithful leader if you're not faithfully following in the simple things that God has already said to do. So if I ask you to be a leader, I don't know what you're tithing, but I at least know if you're tithing, if you're giving, if you're sharing to the ministry of the work of God. I, there's, there's no way I'm going to ask David to go kill Goliath when David can't even obey dad and watch the sheep responsibly. And so we see this pattern all throughout Scripture that with great leadership becomes great responsibility. All right? So, so we recognize that in order for me to be right with God, I have to learn to purposefully give off the top. It's the first thing that we do. Um, my family will get paid Tuesday. It's the 28th of the month. That's when our payroll company will issue a check to mine and Tyler and Jessica's and Robin's account. And on the 28th, if you were to have access to my bank account, you would see a deposit on the 28th of our tithes and offerings. Our giving will happen the day that our check lands in the account. Robin goes in, she writes and sends off that amount, whatever it is. If we've had some special love offerings that month, like I got from preaching in Montana, whatever, we'll take off the top and we'll give it. Before I ever steward the rest, I give God his. Every time, without fail. You say, Pastor, you get to check up on us as leadership. Uh, who checks up on you? You can have access to that anytime you want. This man has nothing to hide. Just ask Jessica, does our pastor tithe? And she will tell you whether I do or not. Okay? Now, if you want to know the amount, I think it's personal, but I'm glad to share it with you one-on-one. -on -one. Not in a bragging fact, but if you're really doubting the integrity and the, uh, the walk with God that your pastor has, I don't ever want you to doubt that. We'll be glad to share it with you. Because I believe and I'm confident that God deserves my best off the top. I'm not saying you're not right with God. I know some people take things I say literally and you walk out of here going, man, I never realized I was a sinner because I didn't pay tithe until the third day after I got my check. Okay, all right, you understand? I'm not saying that you have to pay your tithe when your check hits the account, but I'm saying it's very wise to be sure you give God his off the top. We see it all throughout scripture. Second Corinthians chapter number nine, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. If you go back to the Old Testament over and over again, you see the examples of them giving their first fruits off the top back to God. God, thank you for the strength to work. Thank you that I'm still breathing. Thank you that I'm still alive. Thank you that I have this job. I don't like my boss, but thank you for my job, okay? Uh, I mean, you, you got all that, but Lord, thank you. And so since you're so good to me and you died on the cross, I love what Max said two Sundays ago as he stood here and talked about the need for us to now give. Why not give back to God? Because he sacrificed for me. He gave all for me. Why, why would I not want to do that? God, thank you. Forgiven, so purposefully give. Number two, God says we are to provide for our needs. Now, when I hit this point right here, um, I, I get a little red-blooded American, can I call that? Is that right? It'll not come in my stomach because I, I have a hard time having mercy for people who don't work and don't take care of their families. That bothers me. It bothers me big. And I have to not get cynical right here and I have to not get... Uh, 
uh, critical uh, because I know I recognize that sinners do what sinners do. Okay, And a sinner is the one not working and not providing for his family. But I'm telling you, God says when it comes to the stewardship of our money, number one, we are to give. Number two, we are to provide for the needs of ourselves physically and the needs of our family that he has put in our care. We have that responsibility. Uh, again, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house. Are you ready for this? He had denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Okay, maybe, I, maybe it's not that I'm a red-blooded American that I feel this way. Maybe I'm following a righteous, holy God that says if you don't take your funds and take care of your own house, you are worse than an infidel. The Bible does say if you don't work, you should not eat. Now, again, we recognize that sinners are sinners, and, and there are times where uh, we as God's people must show grace and mercy and help people maybe as a tool to get them to get right with the Holy God, and then they'll start taking care of their family, right? So, so, so there's a balance there. But it's so important that we recognize that God says we are to take care of our families. It's right to work. It's right to labor. It's right to care for those people. God's given us that responsibility. We had a man in our church in North Carolina who came to me and he said, hey, pastor, he said, we're struggling right now to pay the bills. He said, do you mind if the church helps us pay the bills? He said, we're down on our power bill. We need X amount of dollars. I don't remember what it was. He said, we got some other needs. And I said, okay, I'll meet you at your house tomorrow, and we'll kind of walk through this. So when we got to his house, um, I'll never forget, he lived in a double-wide trailer in the middle of the backwoods, North Carolina, and, and drove up and, and, and uh, parked the car behind his cars, walked in the house. And, man, welcome, Pastor. Glad that you're here. There was stuff everywhere. Computers, big screen TVs. He took me and walked me back to his room. He said, Hey, before we talk, let me show you my gun collection. He opened up his cabinet and showed me all the pistols and guns and handguns. And we stood there for, for probably at least 45 minutes to an hour looking at all the weapons that he owned. And then went back to the living room and, and, and my spirit just began to gnaw at me as a pastor. He was growing a young pastor, is what he was doing. And my spirit just began to gnaw at me. And I'm like, maybe you're in the mess that you're in. Not because you're down on your luck. It's because you don't know how to manage money. And you want God's church and his people to fix your inability to steward and take care of your family. And my thought was, and I called his name, and I won't do it now, but I said, sir, look, you've showed me all these things. I'm going to give you a good way out of your problem. And this is the literal way I said it. Do you want to feed your family here? You pay that power bill? He said, yeah. I said, sell some guns. Sell, sell that new, literally had not a new one, but a, a boat out back. Now, is there anything wrong with the boat? No. Is there anything wrong with guns? Hallelujah, no. Is there anything wrong with big screen TVs and computers and gadgets and gizmos? No. But my failure to manage money does not mean that God always has to come in and rescue me from my my failures. 
And it's vitally important that we understand that sometimes there's something more important than a gun and a toy and a gadget and a new subscription or whatever. There are people live underneath my house that need to be fed and taken care of and a roof over their head. And God says that I'm worse than an infidel if I don't provide. And again, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir right here, but maybe if you're that person taking care of your family, you know someone who's not, and this will be the information God will help you use to make a difference. This is what God says about money. Number three, pay your debts. Pay your debts. The Bible says in Romans 13, 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, it's really important that we recognize based upon Old Testament and New Testament law that God, for, for those who are interested in Bible, let's look at it right now. God never uh, gives a prohibition against lending. God never does that. Matter of fact, all throughout the Old Testament, we see people taking and borrowing from a brother to fulfill a need and then having to pay back that need. What God does give a prohibition against is not paying your debts. When he said, um, don't owe no man anything, it never said, it never, it, it's not referring to the fact that you can't have a debt. It's saying, don't come to the point where they're knocking at your door saying, where's my money? And you're not paying your debts. This is what the word of God teaches. Matter of fact, if you want the passages, we can run through them together today. Exodus 22, verse 25, Leviticus 25, 35 through 37, Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 9, Nehemiah 5, 7, Psalm 15, Ezekiel 22, Matthew 5, Luke 6. All are points about how people had debts. Just pay your debts. Be sure you pay them on time. Be sure they're not coming to seek you for their, for their things. Pay your debts. Pay your debts. And we can get a little sticky here because this whole message is not about stewardship techniques. But I am grateful. I have a family member, I'm not going to give that person's name, who had to file bankruptcy. Now, most people, when they file bankruptcy, they file it so they don't have to pay it. But this person filed bankruptcy because they were in a mess and then paid all their debts back still. If you borrow, pay your debt. You're using the product. You're using the money. Pay it back. They work for it. I work for it. So you should pay it back. All right? So you understand what the word of God is teaching concerning this, this matter. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 7. Here we go. This is an actual passage, and I'll read a little bit to you. Go sell the oil and pay the debt and live, thou and thy children, on the rest. Doesn't that make sense? Go take your oil, go sell it, and then pay off what you borrowed, and then take the leftover and take care of the people that you, you are with. Pay your debts. The Bible says so. Number four, prepare and save your money. Prepare and save money. It is good to save. It is good to save. And all of us should have um, some funds that are set aside, some things that are set aside for preparation for the future, okay? There's, there's not a ton said about building up a huge surplus and sitting on it. 
Matter of fact, the Bible says fill the storehouse and then empty it and then fill it again and then empty it. When we understand what it means to prepare and save, it means I'm looking towards something that's coming and so I'm preparing for something that may happen. I'm not just setting aside to sit on it. I'm preparing for something. So some of you set aside 401ks to prepare for retirement. Some of you set aside retirement funds to take care of your kids after you're gone, okay, to give them some help. Some of you set aside funds because uh, what if um, I lose my job and I need three months? I've got a dear friend of mine. I mean a close friend of mine that called me and my wife yesterday and said, after I've had this job for 25 years, they shut down my plant. I've got three weeks severance paid. That's it. And then I'm out of a job. And I thought I would die here. I put everything into this business. And now I'm out of a job. That's hard. And if you haven't prepared for that cushion time of getting ready, that might be difficult. But the Bible never says stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, and sit on it. It says prepare for it to use it for something in the future, for something to have in a later date. That is the word for prepare. Proverbs 30, there are four things. The Bible says, I love this. There are four four things, verse 24 says, Proverbs 30, 24, which are little on earth, but are exceedingly wise. Okay? So here's the four things that God says are on earth. Let me give you one of the key ones, the ants. The first one. They're tiny, but why are they wise? The Bible says the ants are people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. Why do they prepare food in the summer? Because what's coming? The winter is coming. Let me give you a great illustration. How many of you parents, if you're honest, I'm one of them, I've been one of them. How many of you parents are honest and you get down to December, about 15th or 16th, and you're like, oh my goodness, we haven't bought presents for the kids yet. Oh man. Oh, no, the checking account is empty. There's no money. How are we going to buy presents for the kids this year? It's Christmas. And, and, and my thought on that is you knew Christmas was coming. It comes every year. It lands on the same day every single year. And yet we act like it surprises us. Like, oh, man, here's Christmas. What are we going to do? Okay, that's the idea, the ant. The ant knew that December 25th was coming and there was going to be money needed for December the 25th. And so six months prior, during the summertime, the ant started to put away a little bit. So I I walked out to my car the other day. Jason looked at my Explorer we bought two years ago, and the tires are wearing out. And first of all, if I don't have good tires on my vehicle, my dad comes to town, he just dogs me about it. You know, you're raising a tire man's home and you've got bald tires on your car. What were you, you know, I'm like, all right, all right, dad, whatever. And so here's what I did. I went, as soon as I recognized that I had probably a quarter of a life on my tires, I went and checked on how much they're going to cost me. Then I realized if I started now, how long it would take me to save the money so that when it was time to buy the tires, I could just walk in and pay cash and not put it on a credit card. Begin to store it away. Some of you are sitting here going, well, that's dumb too because we've got that kind of money sitting in the checking account already that we can spend. I, I, I get that. But if we live by the seat of our pants in every moment, that account disappears. So prepare. Prepare. Set it aside. Set it away. Prepare. Grow that account. These are things that we're growing in. I'm growing in as a Christian, as a believer. Why? Because it's biblical. Is it easy? No, but it's a lot easier, right, Jason, to take out $20 a week than it is to take out $1,500 in one week, right? So I need a raise, okay, if you guys, I got to buy some, you know. So anyway, um, so prepare and save your money. 
The Bible says the ants are people strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. And I love the illustration that God uses. They're not big and they're not super wealthy. They're just these little tiny things that are putting away tiny little amounts in their little storehouses over and over again. And sometimes we think we got to be wealthy to survive, but that's not true. This little ant that God uses as illustration is just putting away little tiny bits over and over again. Proverbs 21.20, there is a treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spends it up. He doesn't prepare for the future. Be sure that we're wise and putting away and preparing what God has called us to do. Preparing is biblical. Saving is biblical. And then thirdly, we're done tonight or this morning. What's the third thing that the Bible says about money? Number one, understand what God has said. Secondly, steward what God has given. And I love this one. It's encouraging to me. Then trust God with the rest. Trust God with the rest. That is honestly the way um, God wants us to live our lives. Here's what I've told you to do. Go do it. Obey me. Okay, Lord, I'll obey you. What's next? Trust me with the rest. But if I obey you, Lord, I, 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 I can barely afford a, a Coke at Circle K, and, and now you're telling me that I got to take off the top and give to you? Uh, no, 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 no. That's what God says. Obey me and then come on the other side of faith and say, all right, God, I did what you said. I'm going to trust you. I had so many people, so many that come and say, hey, we need, we need, we need, give, give, give. And yet they're not on the side of obedience. And so when they get to the side of the trust, they go like, God didn't take care of us. No, you didn't take care of the simple things that he told you to do. You know the illustration. It's beautiful, though. You know, the, the, the guy, the flood's coming. He heard it on the news, but he stayed at the house. Then the water began to rise. All right, then a boat came by and said, hop in the boat. You know the story. And I'll take you to safety. He says, no, God's going to provide. Then the water rose to the roof and the helicopter flew in and said, hey, grab the rope. I'll take you to safety. No, God's going to provide. Then he drowned. He gets to heaven and said, God, why didn't you provide? And God said, you dummy, I sent a boat and a helicopter. Right? And, and we don't obey in the simple. And we expect God to cover the stupidity. And, and a lot of times that doesn't happen. So how can I make sure that when I stand on this side and say, okay, God, now, Lord, I'm gonna put my faith and trust in what you've said. Well, have you done what he said? Do you love money? Do you, do you covet? Do you worship it? Is it your idol? Do you seek after being rich and therefore you're always miserable because you're never rich enough? Or are you the person that stewards well? You give to God, you take care of your family, you prepare and save, you pay your debts. And then after those things are done, you say, God, I know the economy's rough and gas prices are up and eggs, oh my word. <sighs> what a commodity. I wish I owned some hens right now, man. Right? But I trust you. You know where we're at. You know where your people are. And we trust you. And then you can safely sit over here with peace and comfort and rest because you've done what God says and we can trust him in it. The Bible says again, this is, again, this is another Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 17, charge them that are rich in this world 
that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who hath given us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Do you see that passage? That is a beautiful promise of God concerning money. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor seed begging bread. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, let your conversation, the word conversation, remember, it's not what I'm doing right now, us having a conversation. It's the idea of lifestyle. Let your manner of living, your way of life, be without covetousness. Don't always be looking at what they have and wanting it for yourself. And be content with such things as you have. And I know for you Dodge people, that's hard. I kid, I'm just kidding, Doug. I just picked on Doug the other day. But be content with that Dodge. I know you can't always drive a or a Chevy, sorry. Uh, but but be content with what you have. All right. For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Philippians 4:19, but my God shall supply, you know that one, right? All your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, these are biblical statements, biblical thoughts from the Word of God concerning money. And it's our responsibility to take the Bible and make sense out of it. It's our responsibility to recognize what God has said about money and to manage it well. How do I know? I remember having this conversation with Ren a while back uh, this past summer. I'm like, how, how do you know when you're really an adult? How do you know when you've really grown up? And the conversation kind of led to the fact of, well, you, you know that because uh, you begin to care for others more than you care for yourself. It is more important that you provide, um, it's more important if I provide for her than, than I provide for me. That, that, that says I've grown up. It's, it's, and how do we measure on the thermometer spiritual growth? It's more important what God says than what I say. That's, that's how I know I'm, I'm growing spiritually. What does God say about a matter? How do I know I'm living in revival? That reviving of the spirit of God is because I'm ready to do whatever and let go of me so that God may have his will and his way in my life. That's how I know, whether that be in money or any other area. Spiritually giving myself to him. Father, we thank you. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about him and as you study his word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. 
Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church Podcast.